you are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On NFL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Pack Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast network at Locked On NFL Pods. Week nine, almost in the books. Patriots, Jets tonight. We will have Ross Jackson and Luke Braun on tomorrow to talk about that game. Of course, today's episode, our Monday episode, is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order of the best tasting protein bars ever. Our Monday episode is the biggest stories with our local experts around the Locked On Podcast Network. The early games on Sunday felt like interleague play in baseball. It was a lot of NFC, AFC teams, but serious. Playoff implications on the line. The Bills host the Seahawks and take down Russell Wilson behind four turnovers, 44-34, in a game that really starts to make you wonder about the Seahawks defense if you weren't already doing so. We had a thriller in KC with the Panthers pushing the Chiefs to their limit, 33-31. The Vikings take down the Lions. They might be back a little bit. Are the Vikings going to sneak into the playoffs? Could they get in at 9 and 7 or even 10 and 6 the way that they're playing? They're 3 and 5 and they take down the Lions 34 to 20. The Raiders beat the Chargers 31 to 26 and although the Steelers did beat the Cowboys 24-19, they don't cover a huge spread and don't look frankly, particularly good doing it. We don't know what the status is of Ben Roethlisberger moving forward, but also a number of games that pitted playoff team against playoff team. And we have to start with a game that I think was truly shocking. It was supposed to be the marquee matchup of the weekend, a deciding and momentous game in the NFC. And perhaps it will be It just didn't turn out to be that interesting. The New Orleans Saints absolutely demolished the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38-3 on Sunday night. And this game was over in the first quarter. Joining me now to try and sort out the wreckage of this game at Raymond James Stadium, Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints. And Ross, I know that these are the kind of games that sometimes we can just dismiss and say, look, this was a Murphy's Law game. Things just started rolling downhill and and all of a sudden things got out of control. What is going to be your takeaway from this game moving forward, if anything? Uh, I mean, when you and I first talked before we we started recording here, I mentioned that I was completely baffled. (laughs) And, And to an extent, I am. But at the same time, there are key takeaways from this. That, you know, there shouldn't just be a throwaway victory for, you know, New Orleans and and for NFL fans that are looking at the NFC South. I mean, obviously, this gives them a really big leg up within their division. But now you look at these games they have coming up ahead an absolutely decimated San Francisco team and Atlanta team that struggled so far this season. Denver, Philly, back to Atlanta. There's so many of these, or or rather Atlanta than than to Philly. There's so many of these games now moving forward that the Saints may have just finally established their identity for being sort of that offensive powerhouse and let me not say powerhouse but that that offensive you know 
firepower that we're accustomed to seeing from a Sean Payton and Drew Brees offense. This was a team that really cooked on every level of their team. And obviously that creates a bit of an identity for them to try to maintain as they move forward through some winnable games here to put themselves on a nice playoff run. I think there are some key things to take away from this, but at the same time, I was just completely baffled. This is not at all how I expected this game to go. Yeah, and what I guess we have to figure out now if we want to project forward is how much of what the first two months of the season was for the Saints was real and how much this Mm -hmm. game papers over some of that stuff because this is not the defense we've seen for the last two months in New Orleans and it's not the offense, frankly, that we've seen either. So if you're going to take something and say, okay, this is is something that speaks to what this team – maybe should be doing and and now okay this is the version of the team that if that if the talent plays to what it should be you know this is what it can be moving forward i mean are is that the offense or the defense or or what what are you seeing here that says yeah this this really could have been happening before and just wasn't and maybe now if things coalesce differently it can be moving forward Yeah, I think that might be the case over on the defensive side because you know very well that usually when you see defenses in particular get better throughout the season, there's a gradual improvement that takes that takes place. You and and especially in pass defense, like that's not something that usually a a switch gets flipped and then all of a sudden the pass defense is incredible, which is kind of what happened this evening with uh, the Saints against Tampa Bay. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see them take a little bit of you know uh, a step back, but still being ahead of where they were before early on in the season and then continue to progress from that new sort of plateau point. So I expect the plateau of the Saints defense to be a little bit even lower than maybe what we just saw here tonight, uh, but then to maybe either stay steady or maybe even continue to improve from that point. But over on the offensive side, I think what you saw was just an offense that's finally nearing full power just in terms of the personnel that they have available, right? This was the first game that they had Michael Thomas back since week one. Obviously, that does some things to opposing defenses to where it forces opposing defenses to pay attention to where he is on the field, and especially because he was actually pretty effective in this game as well. Several targets, several catches, a couple of first downs. I mean, you know, he wasn't his usual 11-catch self, but still to go out there and, and you know, draw six targets, five catches, 51 yards, and, and, and create – uh, coming back into coming back into the NFL as he as he just has, I think that that helps to sort of unsettle everything else that goes on on that defense and allows more to open up on the offense. We finally saw you know the version of Taysom Hill that I think the Saints thought thought they were paying at the beginning of the season, and so they finally got that back. And uh, you know, just all these cylinders are all of a sudden firing, and I think that will get. I don't want to say better, but I think that will get more consistent moving forward with Michael Thomas getting a little bit more settled back into his role. We don't need to get lost in the weeds with how I feel about Taysom Hill. You know how I feel about Taysom Hill. Um, I I know very well because I feel the same way. <laughs> so uh, what I what I, I think is really fascinating about this is as I'm looking, and it felt this way during the game. New Orleans really spread the ball around. It wasn't just the Michael Thomas show, and it wasn't just that they they you know they signed Emmanuel Sanders and and he now can be your number two receiver. It's that, you know, they got double-digit receivers involved in the game, and and that seemed to be 
you know, that's always been Sean Payton's thing. It's like it's like he has a kink for finding the most random player on his team to score a touchdown in a given week rather than, you Mm -hmm. know, his guys. Is this the more sustainable way to play offense for the Saints moving forward? I think so. I, I really do. I mean, this was a game to where we saw 12 different receivers catch catch uh, catch passes That's for incre- the Saints. 12 including- is unbelievable. Like six is a lot. Yeah. And, and to go 12 right. is is ridiculous. Yeah. And and we should shout out Jameis Winston because Jameis Winston came in late in the game to kind of run this game out. And he actually completed the 12th or the pass to the 12th receiver, who was the fullback, Michael Burton, to pick up a first down. So to show Jameis some love in terms of helping out there. But yeah, I do think that that is something that's more sustainable because that's what the style of offense that the Saints like to be able to play. We have to remember that it's not just about getting down into progressions for this team. It's also that wide receivers consistently switch out in terms of their personnel mm-hmm. groups and, and and they play three tight ends. They have Taysom Hill in there. They play all of these different wide receivers in all these different combinations. They throw to the receivers out of the backfield. doesn't matter if you're a running back, a fullback, or you're there in the classified F position, does not make a difference. You can see a target. And I think that that is part of what does make this offensive approach sustainable for the Saints because all of those, not all those players can catch passes close to the line of scrimmage, which is obviously where the Saints are most comfortable operating. And they continue to win games in that style. And the more options that Drew Brees has, or whoever the hell's throwing the pass, I guess, at this point now, <laughs> because Sean Payton apparently trusts all three of these quarterbacks to do at least something, um, you know, that that is something that helps to push this offense and, and help this offense improve as it moves forward. So, from your vantage point, are the Saints now? the favorites in the NFC, or do they just have a particular kind of hold over the Buccaneers this season? I would call it a particular type of hold for right now. Uh, You know, there's still a lot of great NFC teams out there. The Packers, of course, included. Um, Seattle's kind of showing themselves a little bit, but still in that conversation up near the top. So there's still some very, there's still some great competition out there for the Saints. And in particular, because the, the defense is still sort of a question mark, in my opinion. They had a great game here, but obviously there's no consistency to really you know, hang any laurels on at this point. So I would say that they've got a really good hold now on the NFC South. They've set themselves up for best case scenario, but they'll need to continue to show consistency in order to really establish themselves on top of the conference. The NFC seems as wide open today as as ever. And this win, as you said, I mean, it is it is baffling, uh, I think was the word you Mm -hmm. used, Uh, but it counts. Uh, The Saints are six and two. the, The Buccaneers are six and three. And that difference is huge as we stand here today in the NFC. Ross, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. Appreciate you having me. All right. Plenty more to get to on today's show. But today's episode is brought to you by Echelon. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, and rowing machines, and their all-new Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your fitness activity, Echelon gives you fun and challenging workouts from the comfort of your home. And that's the key right now. We're not going to the gym. We're not taking those exercise classes that we might otherwise be taking. Why not take them at home with Echelon? Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes always available when you need them. Unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone and one membership Let's up to five family members work out at the same time. Go to echelonfit.com slash NFL. That's echelonfit.com slash NFL to check out everything 
they have to offer. It was a bit of a weird weekend in the NFL because a number of the NFL's version of interleague play games mattered. And one of them was a battle between two teams. I still think I'm trying to figure out the Tennessee Titans took care of the Chicago Bears 24-17 in a game that for at least the first three quarters was absolutely unwatchable. But I think it's important for both of these teams. Tyler Rowland from Locked on Titans joining me. And, and Tyler, I guess I want to know up front when you look at this game and you see okay ryan Tannehill, 10 of 21 for 158 and and missed plenty of throws the run game didn't really get going derrick henry 21 for 68 that's a 3.2 yard per carry average and yet this team found a way to win is that a sign of a team that is able to win in a number of different ways or are you a little bit concerned that in in a game that against a team that we don't know is good either, that th- that they didn't play as well as you thought they would? Well, I think from an offensive perspective, the, the Bears' defense is very stout. They're very stout up the middle. Yep. Uh, although they've given up you know, quite a few yards on the ground in the NFL, they're still in the bottom half of the league in terms of yards given up in the running game. So a very stout defense that basically had a, a, a lot of their strengths matched up with the Titans' weaknesses on offense. They were very stout against the run up the middle. They also played very good man coverage. Those are two things that the Titans' offense can struggle with. So it was kind of a perfect setup for the Titans' offense to struggle, and then Ryan Tannehill being inaccurate kind of compounded upon that. So uh, I, I give the Titans' offense a little bit of a break there because they were going up against such a good defense that kind of goes against what they do so well. But the big story is on the defensive side of the ball for the Titans, and that's where the hope for the Titans is going to come in. The defense had been god-awful through the first half mm-hmm. of the season. The offense had been pretty good, and now we're seeing some of the additions that the Titans made, some of the uh, additions by subtraction that the Titans made on defense, adding in Desmond King, who had a touchdown on the day, and played some good coverage for the Titans that was desperately needed in the secondary. Jeffrey Simmons on the defensive line looked a, a bit healthier this week after getting some rest and practice this week. So that has to give people hope for the Titans' prospects going future, seeing the defense step up and, and really be the star of the game with that addition of Desmond King in the secondary. How much of that do you think is the, the Titans' defense playing well and how much of it is that the Bears are just an absolute disaster offensively? Yeah, I mean, you have to weigh those two things out, of course. But one thing to consider is the disaster of an offense that the, that the Bears were did put up 23 points against the Saints and take them to overtime last week. And the Saints are a pretty good team. So you got to find a balance between knowing that the Bears don't have a great offensive unit, but also giving credit to a Titans defense that even going up against, you know, some of the offenses in the NFL that aren't stellar still gave up. You know, some pretty good performances, thinking about 30 points to Jacksonville, gave up 31 to Cincinnati last week. So you got to give this Titans defense, I guess, credit where credit is due. They held the Bears to two for 15 on third downs, were able to get pressure throughout the day, forced turnovers. So you got to hope that the addition in the secondary there, maybe getting a Dory Jackson back Thursday against the Colts, can let this Titans defense get back to more of a a league average form than a a bottom of the league defense. Yeah, and this was a a Titans defense. Defense that was letting every team convert every third down coming in. I mean, they, they were yeah. they were incredibly bad, and and they were so bad that the the gap between them at thirty two and thirty one in terms of um, allowing first downs on third downs was uh, this huge margin. I think it was seven percentage points 
And they were able to do the job against Nick Foles. And this was, as you mentioned, a team that they scored 20 to beat the Buccaneers. We know Tampa Bay has a really good defense. And Tennessee did it without, as you mentioned, Adoree Jackson. And they did it without Jadavion Clowney, who also didn't play in this game. So when you when you take this and, and project it forward, I think there are some obvious um, teams that you look at in the AFC and you say, okay, this actually bodes well for some of the matchups that they might get come playoff time. Yeah, I, I think you have to think that. And when you consider, like you said, there are some absences there. The Titans haven't had their number one cornerback in Adoree Jackson all year. They didn't have Jadavian Clowney, their number one pass rusher. They also had Desmond King, who played well, but he didn't even get to practice. He has more touchdowns with the Titans than he has practices <laughs> with the Titans at this moment in time. They had Breon Borders, who was on the Titans practice squad earlier in the year, starting at outside cornerback. So there are a lot of You made that pieces. name up, uh, time. I mean, might as well. Tyre Tart, an undrafted free agent from this year that's been on the Titans practice squad, got a good amount of snaps. So if this Titans defense can get a little bit healthier, get Clowney back if he avoids surgery, get Adoree Jackson back, it could be uh, – I don't think that the Titans defense can be a good defense in the NFL, like top 10, but if they can just be league average, hover somewhere between 10 and 18 – with a healthy defense going down the stretch with two games against the Colts, a game, a game against the Ravens, a game against the Browns coming up as well, then possibly if the offense is playing at its normal level, you could see a team that's playing complimentary football come December. Yeah, and, and having someone like A.J. Brown who in one play can change the complexion of your game. We saw him do it against the the Steelers and, and really in this game as well had the big 40-yarder and that, and that jump started the Titans a little bit. Ty, appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks. Last week on the show, we talked about the Baltimore Ravens and a potential big game problem. The good news for them, they get to get right back on the horse and take on the Indianapolis Colts, and they took care of the Indianapolis Colts 24-10. to 10. Joining me now, Kevin Ostreicher from Locked on Ravens. And Kevin, this was a game that really can be split into to two halves, and, and we can dig into some of the minutiae of the game itself. But when you look at what they were able to do defensively, that has to be the big takeaway from this game if you're the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, Peter, it definitely has to be. And this defense really had all the odds stacked against them coming into this game. Marlon Humphrey mm-hmm. got the coronavirus on Monday. You know, he tested negative throughout the entire last week, even though he had an illness last Wednesday. But still, that test comes in on Monday. He's positive. So he's done for this game, doesn't play. He also had seven close contacts were identified by the league and by the Ravens. Those guys outside of Matthew Dudon mispracticed all week long. So they were doing things virtually by Zoom for meetings. But they didn't have the luxury of going out there and learning for practice. And two of those guys were the rookie linebackers and Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. It also included Tyus Bowser and Deshaun Elliott, slot corners, Rob Bonds. And even with all of that and the fact that on the first defensive series for Baltimore, they lost their other star in Calais Campbell. So that's a big loss up front. The defense was able to hold the Indianapolis Colts to 10 points throughout the entire game and none in the second half. And I think what makes it all the more impressive, Peter, is that you see a Colts offense that I think is severely underrated. This Colts team is severely underrated. And I think that's why a lot of people probably won't chalk this up to a big game for Lamar Jackson and saying, oh, this wasn't a big game. It doesn't matter. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens were down 10 to 7 at the half. The offense has scored 
zero points in the first half. You know, the only seven they scored in the first half was a fumble recovered by Chuck Clark for a touchdown. You see the urgency in the second half for the offense, but that was also led by the defense and their ability to get the Colts off of the field and give the offense more chances. And what you saw, I think, was a more energized Ravens defense, even down so many players having guys step in who a few weeks ago weren't even getting playing time or still on the practice squad. This was a group effort all around. Yeah, and anyone who doesn't think that this was a big game. I mean, the Colts, even with the loss, 5-3 and three now, this defense has been outstanding all season. And we know in terms of the skill talent that they have, even if you don't, you know, your fantasy team at some point got beat by Mo Cox this season, even if that's not a player that you've watched a lot this year. <laughs> but so the, the, the Ravens offense has been hit or miss this season, a year after it was gangbusters last year. And and you look at the offensive numbers. I mean, they ran it for under three yards a carry. Lamar Jackson doesn't even get to 200 yards. Yet because they were able to generate those turnovers, they win the game going away. Is that something where you say, yeah, this is, this is just the identity of this team. They're, they're meant to be a splash play defense and, and the offense can just do enough. Or is it a little bit of a cause for concern? You know, another way of saying, look, this is not necessarily a sustainable way to keep winning against these good teams. Yeah, Peter, what I like to do here is, you know, we're now eight games into the season for Baltimore. They're six and two. They have eight more to go. So now we're at the midway point. And what I like to do is not try to overreact to stuff that happens early on in the year because it could easily be fixed by the midway point. But what we have Hmm. here is through eight games, I don't think the offense has necessarily been up to par with what a lot of people thought it was going to be. And whether that be because Baltimore's 2019 was just so historic, Lamar Jackson and his MVP campaign was so historic, I can understand people being a little disappointed with the box score results of this Ravens offense. So while I wasn't trying to overreact to it earlier in the year, this offense is doing a lot of good things. I I think the hurry-up offense suits their tone a little bit more. It helps them in the running game because defenses can't get set. And once they have success with the running game, it opens up the pass game for them. And Baltimore actually found success moving the ball through the air with that up-tempo hurry-up offense. And I think that was a really great thing to see and something they can build on. But something that I think is now a huge cause for concern with this Baltimore team has to be the offensive line. And it's something I never thought I'd be saying. But with the loss of Marshall Yonda to retirement, with the loss of Ronnie Stanley last week with that broken, dislocated, torn ligament ankle, this offensive line might be the downfall of this team in 2020 because no matter how hard Lamar Jackson tries and tries and tries to throw the football effectively, to run the football effectively – he can't do it without a good offensive line. In fact, no quarterback can do it really effectively without a good offensive line. And what you saw on Sunday against the Colts was Matt Skura. He had a cut on his right thumb, his snapping hand. So the snaps were all over the place. There was one that didn't even travel <laughs> a yard. And Lamar Jackson yeah. had to go and fall on that football. <laughs> or somebody from the team had to go fall on that football. So what you have now is a bunch of guys trying to find their positions. Now, the Colts defense, I do want to point out, the Colts defense is an extremely elite unit. People might might not really know the good. names on it. Again, the Colts, I think, are one of the most underrated teams in football. But the Colts' defense has been showing up this season, and their sideline-to-sideline speed did hinder the Ravens in the first half. But the offensive line for Baltimore, I think, is going to be a key point for me to watch throughout the rest of the season because it's, again, a big part of their passing offense and giving Lamar Jackson ample time to throw the football. But when it comes down to it, the, the running game relies on the offensive line as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how the offensive line continues to hopefully grow together throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, nine TFLs for the Colts in this game. And if you were going to put together a player who was perfect to spy 
Lamar Jackson, he would look a lot like Darius Leonard. So if you don't know how good this Colts team is yet, I highly recommend go watching. They're they're a, a really well coached. Matt Eberflus is an outstanding defensive coordinator. This is a really good defensive team, and and I, I think you're right to point out that look some of some of the numbers here are just going to be depressed because the Colts are that good defensively. Kevin, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your insight. Peter, it was great. Thanks so much. Before we finish up, let's talk about our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar. Ever. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And to make things even better, they've added six new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp to a lineup of flavors that already included toffee almond, peanut butter brownie, German chocolate, peanut butter, salted caramel. These things are Amazing, the best tasting protein bars you have ever tried. The truly the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and yet low cal, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. What more could you want from the energy that you fuel your body with? And something that tastes delicious and is also good for you. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. It just might have been the game I was looking forward to most easily, the most entertaining game of the weekend. It pitted two number one quarterbacks, not number one picks, but the the actual number one, Kyler Murray versus Tua Tungavailoa. The Miami Dolphins moved to th- five and three with a 34 to 31 win over the Arizona Cardinals. Joining me now, host of Locked On Dolphins, Kyle Crabb. And Kyle, we talked last week about the, what the Dolphins were able to do and the momentum that they're building here. And we talked about Tua. He didn't have to do very much. But this was a week where it was it was a huge difference in terms of what they asked him to do and the confidence that he played with. Yeah, this was um, everything you were hoping to see from Tua Tungvaluwa last week, you got this week. Right. Uh, 20 of 28 passing, 248 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers in this football game. He added 35 yards on the ground. Uh, including one really spectacular play, beating a free rusher in the pocket and then juking Buda Baker out of his jock. Uh, So he gave you a little bit of everything, and you knew this offense was going to have to show up more than what they did last week against Kyler Murray. And and the fireworks did not disappoint in this game, as you said, because it was a battle. Yeah, tough couple weeks for Buda Baker. Um, We we look at the AFC, and and especially after those top couple teams – it seems like it's wide open. We trust, or at least I trust, Brian Flores and, and a lot of this defensive personnel after some of the stuff we've seen. I think the defense, uh, week to week, I, I, I believe they're going to have a good game plan. But to see the offense show up like this with Tua has to has to really give this team belief that in a big game, in a big spot, they can go and hang with some of these other high-scoring offenses in the AFC, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and Peter, amid the quarterback change that we had, this was the fourth consecutive game that the Dolphins have scored at least 21 points in the first half, which is the second time in franchise history that's ever happened and the first time since the 1970s. So the offensive output, even amidst the quarterback change. Right. uh, From a points perspective, you know, last week was a total team effort with uh, the defense setting them up on a short field, scoring a touchdown on their own. 
Uh, but San Francisco and New York Jets, this this four-game winning streak for the Dolphins has been about everything that you could possibly hope. And you, you look at the point totals that this team has scored since going back to week two against Buffalo, 28-31, 23-43, 24-28-34. They're scoring a lot of points. They are, but I do want to talk about the defense because – uh, th- this is uh, shades of what Brian Flores's old coach used to do mm-hmm. in New England, and and obviously I don't want to compare, you know, a Dolphins team in November to a dynastic Patriots team. Uh, it's unfair to do that, and unfair to compare Flores to Belichick. But this is a defense that I don't think the the casual NFL fan knows a lot of players on. They have some former Patriots, Landon Roberts, Kyle Van Noy. They've got some castoffs from other teams, guys like Emmanuel Ogba and Eric Rowe, who are playing major roles for this team. I just I kind of wanted to give you the chance to to shout out some mm-hmm. of these guys because this defense, I mean, Brian Flores plays aggressive. They love to go cover zero. They love to attack and. For me, it's fun watching this defense play. Yeah, they they get so creative up front, and they are in your face, and they're relentless. And that was the one thing, you know, people point to the yardage that the Rams had last week. Well, yeah, the Dolphins softened up because they're up 18 points with 20 minutes left in the game. They're more than content to let you target Cooper Cup 21 times with an average depth of eight yards down the field. Well, this game against Arizona – you know, they they really tried. They got burned by Christian Kirk on one play, and Byron Jones in the post-game interview said, yeah, I'm not going to get into the, what the coverage call was, but uh, I should have got on my horse a little bit quicker because that dude is freaking <laughs> fast. So, um, But they, they're aggressive. Uh, they had another defensive touchdown in this game, Emmanuel Ogba, uh, first a Dolphins defender since Cameron Wake to log a full sack in five consecutive games. Wow. Uh, so some really good company there. He's been spectacular, continues to be a bargain buy. And and the Dolphins, you know, I want to give credit to, to Eric Rowe specifically at, at safety. He's playing at a Pro Bowl caliber. And a lot of people will probably think of Eric Rowe as the, the second round bust at cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, he went to New England. He played some outside corner, some slot. Miami transitioned him last year to safety, and he is playing spectacular football. And, and all around team effort, Kyler Murray got his. But when the Dolphins needed some plays to be made, you saw uh, Baltimore Ravens waiver wire pick up Zach Sealer stack up uh, a fourth down and inches run by the Cardinals for a turnover on downs in the fourth quarter. Just total team effort. And and it, there are a few teams, at least for me, that are easier to root for than this one. Uh, Tua being right at the top of reasons. Uh, Kyle, I appreciate you coming on. Always happy to talk with you, Peter. Hopefully we can make this a weekly thing. We keep rolling up some wins here. <laughs> Sounds good. Locked on NFL back tomorrow. Luke Braun and Ross Jackson. Ross, who you heard earlier on the show, they'll be back to talk about Patriots Jets. That is hopefully not nearly as bad as it seems like it's going to be. <laughs> but you should still check out the show with Ross and Luke. They are uh, two truly great guys to talk football with. And I think they do a great Tuesday show. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast network at Locked On NFL Pods. You can check out Locked On Packers every day. If you're not a Locked On Packers listener already, hey, Jaguars week is the perfect week to jump in because we can have some fun. It's going to be a fun week. Packers, Jaguars coming up here on Sunday. And I'll be back Monday, every Monday to give you the latest The biggest stories with the local experts to help you stay locked on NFL.